In this episode of the Squash Mind podcast series, we welcome Alison Waters. Those of you who are unsure of Alison Waters, you're in for a real treat in this conversation. She has reached world number three in her career, which is phenomenal, one of the greats of the English game. She's won four British national titles and is gunning for her fifth one, hopefully sometime soon. Our conversation is broad. It, it has a wide range of interesting topics, discussions, really trying to get into the idea of mental toughness, how she was able to cultivate this through her career, dealing with setbacks and injuries. She got to world number three before she had a massive Achilles rupture and how she's able to cope with this for the next year, 18 months in her rehab. We also talk a lot about habits and habit forming and what makes up her daily processes. It's really insightful conversation, loads that I think all of us can take away from this. And she really opens up. She really talks about some interesting stuff in her life, in her career. And she's been on the tour for 18 years now and is known as one of the mentally toughest players out there. Physically, when she was younger, she used to win a lot of her matches physically and really, you know, set the tone for really high level female athletes in the game. But as anyone, you have to evolve, you have to adapt a little bit. And it's interesting to chat with her about the journey that she's gone through from when she used to rely so heavy, heavily on her physical side, how this has had to adapt and, and where the mental side of it comes in. It's really interesting, a few little conversations about her mental side as a junior or young pro and how this wasn't really paid attention to and then how this has evolved later on in her career. She talks a lot and shares a lot around mindfulness, uh, visualizations, stuff that she does on a daily and weekly process in order to get her mind in a really good place. And just some really cool things she does just to be able to build on habits, the things that are non-negotiable in her life. And I'm sure you'll take a lot out of this and just hear the, the, the passion and the dedication in her voice and her commitment to her craft to be able to play as a, as a young junior from 12 years old. She was winning titles all the way through to her age now, which she's 36 and still looking really strong on the tour, still challenging some of the top players out there. She recently uh, took Noah and Gohar to five games, had a couple of match balls against her. And this is a world number two where Nohan was previously world number one only a few weeks before this. So it's it's really good to see how she's able to sustain these performances to really keep herself in the mix with the top, top players. And I hope you enjoy the following conversation with myself and Alison Waters. Alison, how's it? Uh, welcome and thanks for spending some time with me today uh, talking about the mind. Hey, Jesse. Yeah, thanks. Good, uh, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. Uh, so just quick, um, quick recap how's that how's your christmas holidays been what's been going on that side of things yeah all good thanks yeah nice and quiet christmas obviously everyone's in the sort of their different tiers in england so you can't really do that much but yeah it was just a nice time to be at home and uh yeah have some good food and yeah relax and stuff so it was nice <laughs> nice awesome um so listen we know each other well we, we go back over a few years and and, and we've spoken at, at length about different parts about the mind and the mindset and and you know i'm just I'm really interested to hear from a high performer like yourself, you know, someone who's, who's had a sustained career at, at the highest level, you know, looking back at your junior days, you know, I think, I think there was something talking about winning an under 12 British title and, and all the way through <laughs> to now. So yeah. I thought it'd just be really interesting to just, just pick your mind, have a conversation around some of the, the mental side of the game, what, what you've done over the years, how it's evolved. And yeah, just looking forward to, to seeing, what you have to say and, and how that can also transfer to to people who might be listening um so to kick off uh, you know probably quite a big broad question here uh, mental toughness you know we hear that being talked about all the time what, what does that look like to you yeah i mean as you say you do hear lots of different examples of what people think that might mean uh, i think you can use it in a different a few different ways like to me i feel like it can be you know how the ability to sort of overcome hardships or challenges uh in not just sport but in life as well um i suppose in sport to squash if you've you know you've had a few bad results or a couple of bad tournaments it's also that it's that ability to sort of you know keep training day in day out um doing all the small things um well all the time even if you're you know 
you've had a few bad results it's then sort of backing that up and coming back out for the next one and sort of mm. putting that behind you and going right that's done what's happened you know that's in the past all you can do is sort of look towards the, the future and, and the now sort of thing um mm. so i think it's the ability to be able to do that um mm. well just, just on that point it's really interesting because when, when I've done a bit of research around the subject, that, that sounds like you're, you're describing resilience. I think the definition I hear of resilience is the ability to bounce back from adversity. And so you, you've, you've suffered, you had a really bad injury in your career, didn't you? And that was right at the time when you got to, I think you were world number three at the point. Yeah, and, and, and can you talk us through that process of your injury and, and how you dealt with the setbacks and how you felt you were resilient and were able to bounce back? Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you say, I was, I was one number three and I had a year out with a, an Achilles injury. I had to have a bone spur removed on my Achilles. So, yeah, it was a yeah challenging time because, yeah, as I say, I was sort of up there and it was, you know, I was in the, you know, the peak of my career sort of thing, as you could say. So that was obviously a challenging year. Um, How old were you at the time? Pardon? How old were you at the time? Um, it must have been sort of eight years ago, I'd say. Eight okay. to ten years ago. So I must have been... Yeah, late twenties, twenty-eight or so. I would imagine. I can't remember. It's gone. You know, it's how it's just flown by. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was definitely one of the most challenging points of my career. Just the day-to-day. -day, initially, you're like, oh, you have to obviously have the operation, and you're out of action for a bit, just recovering, and then you like, you just have. Then you sort of have, you know, you go through the rehab phase, um, and there's always setbacks in that rehab. It's never as clear and smooth as you you think it will be. Mm -hmm. um, and it's almost, I think at that time, it was like not setting myself goals to think, right, I'm going to be playing a tournament in six months. So I think that just, I did that once and then I didn't make it. And then you, that sort of leads to further disappointment. Okay. So I kind of, at the time I was like, right, I'll only play when I, you know, I am back hundred percent. I wasn't going to come back at 80% and risk further injury. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. but yeah, it was definitely tough. Like the rehab is obviously very boring and you're doing it sort of twice a day and everything is about getting back fit. So mm -hmm. I think you definitely have to be, yeah, as you say, that mental toughness, the resilience to come back. Um, and also you think, well, am I, you do have doubts about whether you will get back to that level. Right. A year's gone by, obviously the standard improves, everyone else is getting better. Yeah. You, think, you do have, there was definitely moments where I thought, well, will I get back? And if I do, will I be as good as I was before? <laughs> There's lots, of, lots of things that go on. Yeah, that's really interesting because because you you hear a lot about young pros and seasoned pros. You know those those doubts that, that those negativities, those that the self talk and 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 how that can really take take over you. So could you expand a bit further on on how you were able to combat that in that time when you were trying to go through your rehab? Yeah, I think I set myself like the physio would obviously give me like a say weekly plan and I. It was always just doing it day by day and not, as I say, not looking too far ahead and think, oh, well, there's a tournament then. I hope to get back for that. It was just sort of doing the day-to-day -day bits. And I knew that if I did all my rehab, then it would sort of take care of itself. So I think that actually helped me um, by going, right, you know, it's going to be, you know, six months or so. And it's just I going, just, yeah, day-to-day -day, living that, doing that in the moment, I think, and not thinking, oh, God, I should be playing on oh, my rankings dropped or this or that. It's just... Yeah that's out of your control really you can only do what you what you can control really can't mm. you well that, that 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 for me is really interesting it's, it's a big philosophy that that i try to cultivate with my players is is you mentioned two things there which resonates a lot is is decide what you can control and 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 really get wrapped up in those things that are outside yeah. of your control you know what you've just got to let them be and and the second point sounds like you, you you got yourself wrapped up in the processes you weren't really worried about the outcome you weren't you know we hear about outcome performance and process goals and and i'm really interested in that and so it sounded like you were staying much more in the moment and, and focusing on those processes yeah definitely i think that's the key for you know injury if you're injured or just sort of even day-to-day -day, like training and life it's it's just it's the process isn't it and not thinking right I want to be world number one it's how it's you know that's obviously your the long a long-term goal for a lot of people but you're mm -hmm. not going to get there overnight so it's it's learning how the steps along the way that are going to make you that that great player really sure um, this um this this might link a little bit I'm, I'm quite interested to know 
what was the hardest points in your career mentally? I, I can imagine obviously this rehab phase was, was hard mentally and, and how you had to exert mental toughness and resilience. But if you could cast your mind back even to your junior career or young pro or when you got into the top 10 and, and going up the world rankings, can you expand on, on that idea of, of, of when you really had to use, I suppose, the, the mental toughness, the, the fortitude you had cultivated? Is there, does anything come to mind when I ask that question? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am thinking back to junior days and when I was sort of 16, 17, maybe before that, I had a really bad, my forehand was awful. My technique was really bad and I had a really straight arm. And um, I remember playing in the British Junior Open and I lost to... I think it was Casey Brown, the Australian girl. And yeah. um, it wasn't a bad result because she was a great player. But I remember I was, this was when I was, you know, had Paul Carter was coaching me at that age. And uh, we sat down and he said, like, if you're going to make it a professional or, you know, get, you know, get better, we have to change your forehand. Right. And that was, yeah, that was a tough moment. It was because I kind of knew, well, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't get any better. Right. But mentally, I had to be, trust him that I was, that that was the right decision and go through the process of two years of changing it really, <laughs> which is a long time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and, and when you had that conversation with Paul, what, what was your initial reaction? Um, I mean, I, I think I knew he was talking sense, but at the same time you're like, well, actually I am, I think another side of me was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm topping my age group already. Like, yeah. you know, that sort of, not arrogance, but you're like, well, I, I'm, I'm sort of good already. Like, why do I need to change it? But then deep down, I think I realized that, you know, if you've got a weakness like that, as soon as you get to a professional level, people will just target yeah. that, won't they? Um, yeah, that's, that's so interesting. So, so it sounds like there was this, uh, one part of you had that. I talk a lot about growth and fixed mindsets. And it's really interesting when, when you work with young athletes and, you know, that, that you're trying to foster this growth mindset and and you know i i've worked with you a little bit later on in your career and, and i think i did tell people really early on going I, I can't believe how how open you were to new ideas and how much of a growth mindset you had considering you'd been right at the top of, of the world rankings and sustained the top 10 for many years yeah. and yeah I, I i i recognize that part of you that growth mindset but it is interesting maybe at the young age that you had that little bit of a a fixed mindset in there yeah. of the growth fixed mindsets idea in regard to learning skills and, and, and accepting certain things within your game. Yeah. I mean, I think I've definitely got better at that as I've got older, almost like when my, I definitely, even now I'm like, you know, if I've lost a match, I'll always come back and obviously we'll chat and we'll be like, well, you know, you could work on this and that. And you think this would be good for my game. So even now, I've, you know, I've been on the tour for 18 years. I always look to, try and change something or add something new or, you know, go through new ideas. I just think, I just think that, you know, even if you're number one in the world, you still need to be, you know, keep working on things and cause everyone catches up and, yep. you know, as soon as you stand still and, and are not progressing or not learning, then you're not really going to move forward. I think. Well, yeah, completely. just, just, just before we started uh, recording this, we had that brief chat about Mohammed Al Shabagin and you enlightened me to the fact that he had, completely thought about retraining or losing his muscle mass. Do you, do you want to expand on that a little bit? What, what you told me earlier? Yeah, I just saw an interview, I think from PSA saying that over the lockdown, he decided to, yeah, I think he had three months, two to three months of uh, not training and he wanted to lose his muscle and then rebuild himself to, I think he realized that he wasn't as, you know, he was obviously world number two at the time. And he, you know, he, he's looking at him and Ali Farag, who's obviously, mm -hmm they have different movement styles and stuff. So I think he was looking at that and obviously he's 30. So he's probably thinking about his own, you know, reducing injuries and all that sort. But that's, yeah, amazing for someone at that ranking to just shows you that it doesn't matter what your ranking is. You still need to keep learning and uh, yeah. Yeah. Developing your own game. It, it, when you told me that it is fascinating and you know it just gets me to think of of other high performers in other fields you know and you do hear of of tennis players cricket players reinventing the game when they are world number one or top five in the world of something and you know it is it's that fact of if if you're not if you're standing still you're going backwards because everyone is evolving yeah. developing new ways and and yeah it's it's it, it's fostering that growth mindset. You know, if you turn around and think you've arrived and think you're the best in the world, you know what? You're going to be probably exposed pretty soon, aren't you? Yeah, and, that's the thing. Again, that's when it goes wrong, I think. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> so could you expand a bit more on, on the, 
what you or, or the importance the mental side plays when it when it comes to your sustained success and and what I'm trying to get at is where does it also rank in regard to the physical side of your game? So if we look at mental and physical as, as two separate components, I know they will overlap. Where, where, can you just expand on that, where you think the mental, physical side goes and, and how you think it's given you this sustained success over 18 years as a pro plus another, whatever, five to seven, 10 years as a junior as well? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, for me, that's probably changed a lot over, the, over my career. I think when I first started out, the physical side of the game was my, I would probably have put that as a higher percentage than the mental side. Right. Um, just because I, yeah, worked hard physically. I was always taught from a young age, um, you know, you can't lose, you should never lose to someone on your fitness. Right. So I based, I tried to go, oh yeah, that makes sense. I, I think that's one of the worst things, isn't it? So it's nothing yeah. worse if you come off in a match and you just, you know that you're not fit enough. Because <laughs> that for me is the easiest thing to work on. You know, it, it, I, I just, I'm glad you said that because it, it's one of my lines as well. And, and a lot of people think that's hard going, oh, well, it's actually, oh, if I have to get fit, I have to work really hard. But, but you believe it's quite an easy thing to get fit, yes? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's easy to go, it should, it's easy to go for a run or like that is the easiest part of it. But yeah. obviously you have to be motivated and disciplined to do the fitness work because it is, it is hard work, but that should be the for me, I find that that should be the easiest thing to work on. Whereas the mental side has always been, I find, have found that more challenging. I find that easier to go, oh, well, I'll, I'll come back to that later sort of thing. Whereas the fitness side, I'll go for a run. I just think, oh, I'm not going to put that off sort of thing. Okay. So, but now I think over the years, I've definitely realized how, you know, the mental side is actually, you know, more important than, than, than the physical side. Mm. Um, you see a lot of players that are, you know, everyone can hit the ball well, everyone can move well, but it's that final sort of 10% where you're like, do they have the confidence to believe they can win? You yeah. know, if they win in a match, do they think they can get over the line sort of thing? So you see, yeah, that's a lot of the difference between the players in the top, say top 10, top 20. Mm. It's that belief that can they actually get there? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I remember, and I, I interviewed you for my um, my research project that I did a few years ago, and the, the common theme that I got from that, that a lot of the academics were talking about was at, at the elite level, there's quite a negligible difference in skill, fitness, execution of, of whatever sport there was, but what made the difference was the mind and, and the yeah. mindset and the mentality around that, because they said, yeah, you take anyone in the top 10 in the world you know what, you can all pretty much do the same thing with a few percentage here and there difference, but yeah. it's that mind that, that, that gets you over the line. So it sounds yeah. like you, you, you can confirm that being at that top end in the elite game for many years as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wish I'd sort of done it earlier in my career. As mm. I said, I was, I was focused a lot on the physical side of the game, but yeah, it was something that I've sort of developed over the probably, yeah, sort of the back end of my career, really, which is late in the day, but I suppose it's never too late to start, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Completely. And so that's, that's really interesting. And hence why I'm having this conversation with you. And hence, hence the stuff I'm trying to cultivate is, you know, we're a very similar age. And, and again, I personally don't think I was exposed enough to the mental side of the game. Mm. I didn't feel it was easily accessible. I didn't feel it was actually affordable. I don't think I was educated in the right way to understand what was actually happening in the mind and, you know, brain scanning technology has come a long way in the recent, you know, in the last 10 to 15 years. So we yeah. understand what's happening in the mind with, you know, the synapses and the myelin sheets and the neurons all working there. But why do you think you weren't practicing the mental side of the game or, or giving it enough importance when you were younger? Yeah. I mean, I suppose looking back, say, God, 18 years ago, I think if you said that you were going to go and see a sports psychologist, people would have thought that you're the, they're like, oh, what's wrong with you sort of thing. You know, it had that yeah. sort of stigma to it, which is awful because now you're like, well, yeah, I'm going to see a sports psychologist. There's nothing that is good. That's what, you know, people should be doing at, a, at the, you know, if you at the top level, I feel like, or any level really. So there's, I think yeah. there was a bit of that. And also I think it was, it, it was too easy to say, yeah, I think you're right. It's not having, wasn't sort of being educated at how to do it or like, oh, what should I be doing? That sort of thing. Mm. Um, and it's too easy to say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that because it's, it's hard to sit down for 10, 15, 20 minutes and work on that side of the game and, you know, 
do your mindfulness, do your visualization. It's, it's actually hard. Well, I find it hard to, to, to do that. It's, it's easier just to obviously go and watch telly for 20 minutes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And, and I heard a great analogy along those lines. Um, I can't remember the podcast, but I need to find it again. The, the host was talking about, you know, in the, in the 60s, maybe even in the 70s, that, you know, gyms weren't that popular. You know, people would maybe go running and then maybe do some physical stuff but gyms weren't a thing. But we look at, we look now, we, we know how important the health benefits of exercising are to us. Yeah. And he believes we're at this point now with, we're, we're the same that, that the mindset of the people in the 60s in regard to physical health is the same way we act in regard to mental health. He says there's a lot more things cropping up, a lot more mental training programs cropping up now. And he believes give it another 15 or 20 years from now, that everyone's going to be embracing the mental side at a lot younger age. You know, there, there's some scary stats on, you know, the suicide rates of young people and, and, and some really mental health things. And actually, hopefully it's a, it's a good thing that we are being exposed more to the, the, the mindset and there's no, or there's less of a stigma about, yeah, okay. like let's go and see a sports psychologist. Let's dedicate and carve out time in our calendars to work on the mind, to work on our mindfulness, to do visualizations, yeah. to do all that type of stuff. And so, yeah, it is interesting that, that you say maybe what, 18 years ago, there was a stigma to it, but would yeah. you say you've seen a, a rise in, 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 in people talking about it and people practicing the mindset and mental toughness? Yeah, I think so. I think definitely if you look at the players now, some, I mean, not that you really talk about it, but sometimes you hear them say, Oh, I've spoken to my sports psychologist. And so you do hear more about more and more people in the game are using sports psychologists. Um, and as you say, mental health has become such a, a big thing, especially over this last year, I think it's been even more relevant and, you know, people are obviously worrying about mental health. So I think it's going to sort of become more and more, you know, just the thing that becomes normal really and not yeah. something like oh you know oh you're going to see a psychologist it's just like well that's the normal thing sort of thing and yeah in, in in my humble opinion a really good thing a real powerful thing you know if, if we can if we can be better in our day-to-day -day lives and in our day-to-day -day interactions and experiences hopefully the spillover onto the on-court performances or whatever we're doing becomes stronger as well yeah definitely. Um, I'm interested to hear about, and again, this might link from your junior career into your pro career or towards the back, back end of your career, is the, the whole nature-nurture debate around mental toughness. You know, it, it's a classic, you know, are, are people born mentally tough or do we grow that, that aspect of it? Or is it the environment or the people around us or, or the people we're talking to that, that help us with that? So where do you think you sit in, on that nature-nurture debate? Um, yeah, it's interesting that one, isn't it? I think there's lots of different opinions on it and people think different things. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you can be born obviously with, you know, they say obviously he was, he or she was born with a gift, weren't they? But, or, you know, I mean, I was brought up, my family was sporty, so I was always kind of going to go into sport, I think. So that has helped, that helped me probably get into squash. My family played, so that was something that I was always part of my family so I think that was yeah that was my route into sport yeah. um but I think at the same time just because I was you know shown into sport didn't mean that I was going to become good at sport mm -hmm. um I think it's yeah I mean it's a lot of hard work I think you can be as gifted as you want but unless you put the hard work in I don't think I think that outweighs anything really. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting speaking to James Wolstrop along these lines. That I think he gets quite upset when people turn around and say, wow, James, you're one of the most talented players, the most talented ball strikers that the game's seen. And I think his answer, again, he'll probably correct me when I interview him, but he turns around and says, well, no, I'm not talented. Look at the hard work that I put in. Look at yeah. the hours. He almost feels like, the word talent undermines the hard work that needs to be put in. What do you think on that? Yeah. I mean, he would have spent hours doing solo practice. So <laughs> he <laughs> has put a lot of hard work in. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, it is, you have to put the hard work in. I think you could, yeah, as I said, you could be as talented naturally, which mm -hmm. I think does play a good part. Cause obviously you might have a good physique for a certain sport or something like that, but you still, at the end of the day, it's all about, yeah, Putting the putting the hours in practice in the gym on the court doing the solo, doing the bits that people don't see you do sort of thing. 
Mm-hmm. So it's all those hours. And as you say, having a good, you know, environment around you to be able to do that, I think it makes, makes a massive difference for sure. Having that input of, you know, a coach and all that sort of thing. Definitely. You definitely need that. You can't, I don't think you can do elite level by yourself because it's, yeah, it's too hard. You definitely need a good support team around you. No, really, really well said. And, and yeah, hopefully that this resonates to, to some of the people listening. And this might link to this question I wanted to ask you is, is the idea of mental toughness in training. Do you find it harder mentally in matches or training? Can you, can you talk on that a bit? Because, again, you, you're alluding to the fact that it, it takes time and you've got to keep putting that effort in. And that in itself requires a certain amount of mental toughness. But would you say there's also a different mental toughness when it comes to competition and competing? Yeah, I mean, the, the training side of it is, yeah, I mean, that's, they, they say that obviously when you get to a tournament, a match, that should be easier than your training. <laughs> like you should have done the hard work in the training. So you get to a match and that should be not easy, obviously, because it's brutal, but it's, <laughs> you, you know, you've done the work, haven't you? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've just lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm quite, <laughs> the idea of how do you? Oh yeah, mental toughness. Yeah, how do you keep how do you keep coming back mentally tough for training? Yeah. How do you keep cultivating that year on year? You know, season on season. Um, when you've had some bad losses, what what, what are your I suppose tips or tricks is a bad word because it's not a trick. But what are your your suggestions on and why you think? the mental toughness and training, why you've exhibited that for so many years? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest factor is that I actually always enjoy training. Um, I always enjoyed doing the tough sessions. I, I mean, I did them from a young age, sort of 17, 18. We had group sessions and it was, there was lots of courts, but lots of just hard work, basically. <laughs> so it's always something that I hated, but enjoyed at the same time, because I knew that that was, you know, beneficial to me. And even now, like I'm, um, yeah, I don't, sh- I don't shy, wouldn't shy away from doing a session. Um, I think it's just keep, um, yeah, as we were saying before, keep learning new sort of, not new ideas, but, you know, oh, okay, well, I'm going to set myself a challenge to I don't okay. know, do a 5k time or something like that. And I think that that's helped me over the last, you know, few years where you, obviously I've been training for such a long time that there are times when you like, oh, I just, so I think, especially by yourself, if you've got a session to do, I find those are the hardest ones at the moment, just because it's, it's yeah. easy to turn up and hit with someone and do fitness with someone, but it's the sessions where you're by yourself and, mm-hmm. you know, it's cold and you're like, oh gosh, I've got this session to do. They're the, they're the ones, but I don't know. I just find a way that I keep pushing. Cause I'm like, well, I know that at the end I'll feel great. And yeah, I mean, I'm tired, but I'll, I feel good. And then it's just, yeah. By the next tournament you'll feel um yeah feel good <laughs> hopefully so for me I, I'm, I'm really interested to to i don't think we can ever pinpoint the tipping point where where that happened where you would have that accountability to fully commit to a session even though you didn't want to do it and i think that's where a lot of players fall down at a certain time they they they, they might train hard train hard train hard they'll get to that one session like you said by yourself it's cold it's dark you're feeling rubbish yeah. And they'll go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to skip this one. But yeah. over the course of your career, you know, on the whole, it sounds like you would have got to that point, but gone, you know what? I'm doing it. I, I, I'm committing yeah. to it. I'm accountable for it. Yeah. And maybe the 17, 18, when you're doing those court wins, maybe it links to another question I had, which was, uh, I suppose, at, at how young did you feel that you were really competitive? Can you remember any sporting environments where you were going, all oh, right, I'm getting my teeth into this and I'm really, I'm really dedicated to this. Cause that might be a sign of that, that, that real commitment that you've shown over the years. Yeah. I mean, I suppose, you know, I, when I was a kid, I, I didn't just play squash. I always played sport at school, like football and hockey. So I always had that competitive edges and I loved all the, you know, you'd play against other schools and it was always competitive and nice. yeah, I always enjoyed that. And I, yeah, I used to play all the, obviously the junior tournaments every year, every weekend and stuff. So I think from a young age, I always had that sort of competitive thing in me and I wanted to train and, and I think just going back to that, if I didn't, you know, you said about if you, you know, you've got that session to do and you, and you, you don't do it. I, I always would feel guilty. So it'd make me do it (laughs) (laughs) because it's kind of like, 
I don't know. It's easy to like, if you, you know, if you've got a run plan, you'd like, Oh, well, I just don't feel like doing it. But I'm someone that if I've got it sort of written down on my schedule, mm-hmm. this is what I'm doing for the day. Yeah. If I, if I know that at 9am I'm meant to be going for a run, I, there's no way that I could, if I've woken up and I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to do it. There's no, I could get back to sleep. I'd be no, I'd know that I should be doing that. So there's almost like a, a guilt as well in a yeah, funny kind of way that I have to do it if it's written down and planned out. <laughs> no, but I, it completely resonates. Uh, again, a, a great book that I'm devouring at the moment, um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. You might've come across it. And a lot of that, what, what he talks about is, is accountability, writing stuff down, leaving your shoes by the front door, you know, leaving your gym kit in the, in the, in the boot of your car. Yeah. You know, all these little things you do to keep cultivating that you know what i'm just getting this done like no matter what i've committed to this and i'm getting it done and i think for me that's a really strong habit that 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 i see within you and those those high performers you know and part of these these interviews i'm doing with with yourself and others it's really trying to get into those 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 habits those that the the environment you set for yourself the culture you build you know from maybe a young age the environment like you said your competitiveness and being exposed to junior tournaments but then yeah. you then taking that personal responsibility to write it down, to commit to it, to go, you know what, it's, it's getting done. It's in the, in the training diary, whatever process you use. Yeah. And for me, I find that fascinating. And, and like you said, it's, it's nothing that happens over the course of a week. It doesn't happen over the course of a month. It's, 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 it's a year by year process, isn't it? Yeah, that's the thing. I think I've always kept like a, a training diary, as you say, and like planned out you know, the week, I always plan the week out, like on the weekend before, so I know what I'm doing even before that. So I've always got my week planned out at the start. I know what I'm doing exactly. Nice. Um, and I find that helps because there's nothing worse when you, on a Monday and you're like, oh, what am I doing this week? I just, I just couldn't think of anything worse than that. That just fills okay. me with anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't, but you know what I mean? So I like oh, it all yeah. planned out. And um, yeah, I think that just, as, just helps me because then I know exactly what I'm doing each day. Mm-hmm. you know and I think that's that's yeah but as you say that doesn't that doesn't happen overnight I've done that for most of my career and it's just a habit you just form these habits and routines and once you once you get I think we've chatted about this before once you get past the first few weeks of a habit it it will stick with you and that I found that and that's something that I'd still do now every day yeah I write down my plan and then I've whipped down at the end of the day what I've done sort of thing so that's brilliant, and 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 again, it's 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 not um it's not uncommon to hear that when I've listened to other high performers speak about their success in life, so much of what they attribute to it is is sustained habits and and habits that build and build and build over the years. The habits can change and tweak and adapt a little bit, but it, for me, habits are such a big thing, and that takes time to cultivate. You know, you can't just turn around and go, "Hey, I'm just going to pull out these five habits today and do them because I think they're good." that's where maybe the environment or, you know, your, your close friends, your family, your coaches, people like that can help you cultivate those habits and you stack those habits together over the years. It it makes a huge success. Yeah. Um, So, so, so linked to that, um, I'm I'm always interested in this. What, what what does your morning routine look like? So (laughs) I've heard a lot of successful people talk about their morning routine as very, very similar most mornings and it sets them up fully for the day. Could you expand on, on what your morning routine would entail? I'm yeah, not. I mean, it's nothing fancy. I know you, you, you've got your set routine, haven't you, with your mindfulness and your, <laughs> you know, all that stuff, the journaling yeah. and all that, which is great. <laughs> uh, mine's basically, yeah, every morning get up, always have a shower straight away, and then, yeah, go down, have my, my porridge, coffee, um, read the paper. I've got, like, an online paper that I read, so nice. what read the sport. <laughs> nice. Um and then, yeah, basically most mornings I'm sort of, yeah, off driving somewhere or, so yeah, I find that I don't like to rush in the morning. I mean, if I've, if I've got to leave at sort of half eight, I won't get up at like quarter past eight. I'll get up at sort of half seven. So I'm, I don't like, even though I'm not doing that much in, the, in that hour, I still just like to feel relaxed before I sort of go to training and stuff. I don't like to get there and I'm like, I've been rushing, you know, all that sort of thing. And yeah you know I get to my session I always get there half an hour before because mm-hmm. I like to find that's enough time to warm up so I try and I do that every session get there half yeah. hour before my before the session starts really but um, yeah like like with the morning routine it's it, what works for you if, if your morning routine is obviously more of a relaxed read the paper have your coffee great and yeah. I've noticed with you yeah you you're there 20 to 30 minutes before every single session 
for me that 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 probably links into your morning routine because I don't think I've ever stepped on court with you with, without you doing an extended warm up, you know, and it's nothing that it doesn't seem like it's the hardest thing in the world to do, but you've cultivated such a powerful habit that it's just, it's a non-negotiable. Would you say that that warm up before that, the, the stretch and the routine that you go through, that's yeah. just in there for, for life. And, and look, you're, you're, your body's in great shape at the moment. You're not getting injured. You're, you're competing with top players in the world still. Could you attribute that continual warm up and even the cool down phase as part of your successful for avoiding injuries? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, as I say, I always, I'm not sure how I got into this routine of literally half an hour. I'm there, but well, I try and make sure it's half an hour. Mm-hmm. And if I'm, if I'm, if there's traffic or something or, and I've only got 15 minutes, that makes me feel anxious. <laughs> I'm like, I haven't got enough time. No, I need half an hour. So it's kind of like, it's not like a, yeah, it's sort of become my thing that I don't, I, even though 15 minutes, I'd still be early for say our session. Yeah. That wouldn't be enough. I wouldn't find that enough time. Yeah. And so I'm like, but I'm going to be late, even though I'm not late, if that makes sense. I'm yeah, late yeah. for my warm up. <laughs> <laughs> which sounds really weird but no, that's like, like again i heard it was a quote from someone saying saying if you if you arrive on time you're actually 20 minutes late you know so for yeah. session the 10 and if you arrive at 10 you're actually 20 minutes late because you need to be there 20 minutes before that so i yeah, completely get what you're saying and again it's it's such a you know the again it depends on on the people i coach or or who wants to get something out of this but that is such a powerful habit. And, and again, I've admired it since I've seen you doing it from day one, that you've completely cultivated that so often. And, and, and again, that, that for me is one of the habits that, you know, some of the, the top juniors I'm working with, I'm really encouraging them to just even just start, even if it's five minutes, even if it's something yeah. that's only a five minute routine before you go on. If my session's at six o'clock at night, you know what, five to six, you're doing something. So by the time we hit the first ball, there's some sort of activation. And, and yeah. for me, I, I, you know, it doesn't seem much, but you stack that up over the course of years you yeah. know what how many extra 30 minute sessions have you done on top of other people you know if you add yeah. that up over years that, that's a huge amount isn't it yeah that's the thing as you say like my routine's half an hour but as you say for some of the people it could be five ten minutes but it's it's mm. just something isn't it so you're not just literally walking on court and yeah for me that's half an hour and it is interesting watching obviously a train with a lot of the pros and seeing what their routines are and what time they come in and, and definitely people where I train train at Berkhampstead squad and stuff and they it's becoming better for people getting there half an hour early okay. or like at least 20 minutes whereas sort of back in like previous years it would be like oh some people would rock up at I mean you still get some people that turn up at 10 for a 10 15 start you know yeah. and it's like well that's fine but as long as you're ready to go at 10 15 mm-hmm. sort of thing and, and has, have you felt the culture has changed a bit? Has there been like enforced culture by Adam and, and Paul Carter because of that, do you think? Yeah, I mean, they've never actually said like, make sure you're there before. But I think some of the younger ones have probably seen that I turn up half hour. Adrian Waller, he always turns up with like 20 minutes, half an hour. So right. I think that they've probably seen that we do that. And some of them have actually started getting there for half an hour before so that's good so I think well that's maybe they've seen that and they go well they should be doing that as well so it's almost mm. hopefully we're setting an example to them to perfect you know this is what you should be doing <laughs> no and again really powerful and, and I do love that idea of 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 of, of that the compound interest and, and that accumulation over things over the years and and you know we could go on for ages around habits but I wanted to talk to you about mindfulness because we, we, we've had some big discussions about it maybe yeah. recently in the last couple of years. So can you expand on, on where mindfulness came in for you? Did it come in late in your career? And, and ultimately, how does this link to your performances? What, what, can you expand on what you think about that whole subject, please? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've got into it definitely over the last few years, three, four years, the mindfulness. Um, just, yeah, it's just a new technique that started started doing um obviously the mental side as we discussed is obviously huge isn't it i just found that the mindfulness was just such a good way to just make you feel you know calm and and relaxed and you know just push as you say you know it's just it's you're in the moment aren't you and that's what you need to play in sport or anything in life really but especially sport you don't want to be 
you don't want to be thinking really do you as you say you play your best game when you're you're in a flow and you're just yeah not thinking at all and I find that the mindfulness definitely yeah helps with that feeling and especially you know over this last year there's been you know a lot of anxiety for a lot of people I think more people could probably benefit from doing five it's only five five ten minutes of mindfulness or linking it in doesn't have to be every day it's almost down to how you feel sort of thing I think um could you could you share more what you do in your mindfulness practices are is there a journaling process is there a meditation process is there even visualization what you do what what, what happens in, in your mindfulness practices yeah so I, I kind of go through different stages so if i'm leading up to a tournament i'll do say three to four weeks like mindfulness with linked with visualization mm-hmm. um so i find that's quite helpful because I, I, lo- I love the mindfulness so i might do say 10 minutes of that um either you know you can listen to use your app obviously <laughs> a nice plug thanks <laughs> yeah lovely use your squash mind app <laughs> um but yeah normally we'll do sort of 10 minutes of that um just basically deep lots of deep breathing um and then i'll try and add some visualization in so if i know who i'm playing in a, in say first round tournament i can visualize how i might play them rallies i might construct or areas of the court where I might want to hit the ball to even I think we spoke about this last time like this year has been so strange with obviously COVID and having no practice at tournament or hardly any practice and you might not go on to the court until your match um so I went through a stage of doing visualization where I was rehearsing my get my match the day of my match and mm-hmm. you know you leave your hotel room you you know you go to the bus and you go to the court and um, I think that's definitely helpful because you can, as you say, you, you practice when you step on the court, you're like, oh, I've actually been here already. Mm. Subconsciously, you, um, you you feel more relaxed instead of, you know, the stress of thinking, oh, well, I haven't hit for, for two or three days. Like, yeah, you know, that's not, it can lead to a bit of, yeah, you don't, professional athletes don't like uncertainty. I don't think they like to be in their routine and like, right, I've got my practice. I've got this, you know, they like a set thing, but mm it's being flexible in that as well i think yeah yeah visualization as 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 you well know i i'm i'm massively researching the subject I, i'm trying to make it available for more people to to use and practice and and make them more aware of it and you know the the, the biggest thing i've started to uncover is is the same neural pathways are activated when you do a deep visualization as if you are doing the same event. So if, if you are practicing a certain shot and, and you're hitting that forehand drop, for example, forehand volley drop, the, those pathways in your brain are becoming stronger in the physical practice. And actually when you go and visualize that same thing with a lot of detail, the same pathways are working. And then you get these things called myelin sheaths, which wrap around the neurons, which make the whole process faster. And a lot of research has been done combining, you know, or or doing experiments with people who just do basketball free throw practices and the yeah. same group that do a visualization practice. And it was, it was a crazy stat that, that the one group improved by 24%, but the one group that only visualized improved by 23% over six weeks. They didn't throw one basketball for six weeks, wow. but they improved their shooting by 23%. And, and, and again, that's one of multiple studies that they've done. Yeah. And what, what they're starting to do now a lot more is, is combine the visualization with the physical practice. And, and there's some interesting stuff where they're getting athletes to actually do the physical stuff and then actually setting aside five minutes of time to visualize and then come back and do the physical, physical stuff all in one session. So yeah. for me, I think that's a, that's a whole new interesting field that's going to develop, you know, strengthening the neural pathways, both with the physical activity as well as the mental activity. And it, it feels like this, this whole area is just improving and exploding massively, which for me, I find really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. No, it's very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Could you um could you expand a little bit more on your on your goal setting? What what because goal setting is such a big, heavy subject. Sometimes I find, and a lot of people get yeah. put off by it. But could you could you break down what goal setting means to you and 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 how it's helped you over the over these years? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, goal setting, because it yeah, as you say, it's such a broad sort of area and you don't want to get too sort of stuck on them sort of thing um I definitely probably did use more goals when I was younger in terms of right I want to get to this ranking this ranking but I don't know 
now I kind of don't, I think that those goals are just, they're just too far ahead sort of thing where it's actually, as I say, just doing the day to day stuff, which you're then going to reach that level sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Cause I'd be always be like, well, if someone said, well, what's your goal going in? This was like a few years ago. What's your goal going into this tournament? Well, obviously when you enter a tournament, you want to win the tournament. You're not going there just mm-hmm. to lose, you know, second round. So your goal, <laughs> my goal was always like, well, actually I want, I'm there to win it. <laughs> yep. So that was my goal. But then it's hard then because obviously only one person wins the tournament, don't they? So then you're always like, well, should I set that goal or should I just say, right, each match I'm just going to, you know, have a goal for that match or so I ended up just yeah the last few years I haven't really set many goals in terms of I've just sort of yeah played to enjoy it and I always think if I'm playing well and you know the result and I'm putting the work in and the training then Mm. the results take care of themselves sort of thing so I might have had more goals based around training like I had I did have a goal for like my 5k time I had a goal set in the gym to you know do that sort of a challenge in the gym or you know a certain exercise so I sort of have goals are based along that yeah more so than probably squash goals really Mm -hmm. what it sounds like to me then and this is something I've wrestled with over the years because because I went through goal setting when when I was trying to work on things and I never felt it was that sustainable even it it didn't even feel that motivational you know a lot of goal setting is is there to be to be motivational and, and push you in a certain direction but what it sounds like you've done and and it probably confirms a bit of my thinking and the research I've done around that it's your goal setting originally was, was on a lot of the outcome goals on, on in simple terms, the uncontrollables going right. Do you have outcome as your top? Yes. I want to be a certain world ranking. I want to, I want to be, I want to win the tournament. You know what? Those are, actually out of your control aren't they within yeah, you, definitely. on other factors it depends on on the player depends on on a bunch of other things and yeah. when you break it down and you come right down this goal setting chart that 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 i've started to um develop over the course of time with a bit of research it's so much more interesting to get wrapped up in the process goals i believe and the process yeah. goals are fully under your control going yeah. for a 5k run doing your pilates uh you know go doing your mindfulness working on yeah. your mind watching match play you know what and if you become I say obsessed, but, but you, you can become almost a perfectionist within your process goals because they are fully under your control. Yeah. I think a lot of people become quite perfectionist and obsessed with that outcome goal, which is yeah. ultimately out of your control. Yeah. I find that such a fascinating field. It almost sounds like you've, you've naturally started to just pivot and do that. You're going, well, here's the things I can do on a day-to-day basis. And you're just setting those, even if they're not written down goals, just mental goals. Yeah, um, definitely. Keep in control. Yeah, I think I've I think I've definitely changed how I thought over my career. Like when I was younger, you you worry a lot about your ranking and oh, I need to get my ranking up and this and that, and you have goals and I need to be top thirty at this point, top twenty. But yeah. as you say, there there's so many situations that can affect that. So it is, it, as you say, it's just controlling what you can control, and that is doing the day to day, the day to day things, attention to every little aspect that will make you a top 20 top 10 or you know mm. those that sort of thing so yeah I definitely sort of I, I always used to make make goals and then yeah it was just as you say it just wasn't realistic to be like well my goal is top five well that's great but how are you gonna get there <laughs> yeah, exactly and, and and that's where I think real deep goal setting comes in whether it's with a coach or a psychologist go right there's our outcome goal but let's break it down into piece yeah. by piece processes and you you've come across the concept and we, we've spoken about it a lot the whole concept of marginal gains it came yeah. with team sky cycling and just a great story you know when when british cycling wanted to start to perform well they couldn't yeah. even get people to sell them bikes because people were so embarrassed to sell them a bike because they were so bad and yeah. then Dave Railsford came in and, and reshaped the whole philosophy about marginal gains, you know, looking at where you can get 1% gains over the course of lots of different areas and actually yeah. all completely controllable areas. And then, you know, we know the story, you know, Bradley Wiggins, Chris Froome, you know, all yeah. Team Sky becoming one of the most successful teams in, in the Tour de France and, and British cycling. So Chris Hoy talking about these top, top athletes and, yeah, I, I just love that story, and, and for me, I, I'm always trying to signpost juniors and, and 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 people I work with to this idea of, yeah, don't worry about getting into Division One in your box league or, or you know representing your country or reaching a world ranking. What can you do that you can look back in on yourself and go, right, I can improve by one percent in fifty different areas, 
and yeah. actually make that a daily habit. For me, that yeah. sounds a real powerful thing to cultivate. Yeah, definitely. Because that, and that's the, that's what keeps you motivated as, as well. Because you're like, well, actually, I've got this and that to do today. That's mm-hmm. going to make me a better player. So that's that. Yeah, that's more motivating mm-hmm. than going right. I'm going to be. I'm aiming for that. That's obviously your long term goal. But as you say, you need yeah. the the process to get there, really. So. <laughs> this this might link quite closely as well. It's something I'm I'm quite interested to ask because I struggle with it. But the idea about self control and and how do you stay committed over the years? Because there's so much distraction, temptation. Yeah. You know, going I'm going to skip that session or you know what that 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 massive piece of chocolate looks really good over there. Mm-hmm. So how do you you know express self control and 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 that aspect of of your mind? Yeah, I mean that is. I think that is the hardest thing about sport. The for me, it's the, it's the yeah, it's the food. <laughs> it's, it's the food. <laughs> the taste of food. <laughs> oh gosh, that that is that takes a lot of self control. I mean, I love, I love food. <laughs> yeah. but I, I I like I like I do like sweet food, but I have to. I have to have a lot of control because I could just eat it. But I'm I have I've got into a good habit of you know, like Monday to Friday. I mean, I'm not, I think you have to put, do things in moderation, really. Like I don't, I'm not someone to, to be like, right, I'm never going to eat anything, anything bad at all. Cause I just think that's just going to send you over the edge and you actually will then eat loads. <laughs> yeah. So I've kind of got into a good habit where like Monday to Friday, I won't eat anything bad. Like I'm not going to in the evening eat any chocolate or any cakes in the week or anything like that. No crisp, nothing. And then Saturday, Sunday, I'll have a treat, like a, I don't know, a nice cake or something. And I find that works because then you're like, well, okay. and actually I feel better for it. Like I know that if, when I'm health, eating healthily, mm-hmm. everything, I just feel so much better. I just, and when I have something bad, like over Christmas, it's just awful because you just feel so sluggish. Yeah. <laughs> and I hate that feeling. I mean, I love it at the time because it's like amazing, the food, mm-hmm. but two days later, you're trying to get around a squash court and you just feel so slow (laughs) so i just think well if i'm eating healthily Mm -hmm. that makes me feel so much better and my whole game is better and it's just a and the end of the day like we are you professional athlete you shouldn't be eating cakes on a monday afternoon sort of thing it's like yeah true (laughs) you should be a professional person a sports person should be you should be disciplined to eat well Mm. be hydrated they're the easiest things to do really yeah well again another thing that points to um controllable factors you know it, it sounds like quite a, quite interesting you you both have that determined mindset to not do it but also i would assume you've created a good environment to not yeah. the cake or not not put those temptations in front of you and, yeah. and again that that's a very powerful thing with habit if there's a massive toblerone sitting on the table for yeah. monday to friday you know what you're going to walk past it when you're not feeling great and you're probably going to grab for it can, can you talk thing. about maybe your environment that you've created in order to to exhibit that self-control yeah i mean i think linking to food still <laughs> i find that if it's not in the house then then you can't eat it so yeah. i've definitely um I try not to buy anything sweet because I'm like, well, if it's there, then it's, you know, it is hard not to eat it. Especially if you say by the end of the week, you're feeling tired and you're like, oh, I just have a little something there. And, and it's just a challenge. Like I, I, I know Monday to Friday, I'm going to be good. So it's kind of like, if I have something, then I'm like, I feel guilty because I'm like, well, I've, I, I have, you know, I'm not meant to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a, definitely a few factors in terms of, yeah, I always like, you know, I have my set breakfast, my porridge. So I know what I'm having. If I'm out for the day training, I'll always take my lunch, have it in my lunchbox. Mm-hmm. I just find that that helps because if you're at home and you, you know, you, you make your lunch, it's easy to go back and make something else, isn't it? Like, oh, I'll just have a little extra. But, you know, in my lunchbox, I'll have like couscous and all that sort of mix. I mean, so I just know that that's what I'm eating and then that's it. So there's no, there's no other temptation sort of thing. Yeah. So I do find it hard. I found it hard over this period because you're obviously at home a lot. So there's more temptation to go to the fridge. You know, if you're bored, you're like, Oh, I'll just have a little snack. But yeah, this definitely takes a lot of self-control. I have found that quite challenging, but at the same time, I feel like I'm, I am quite good at it in a funny way. <laughs> Yeah, no, but but again, it it sounds like you, and that that's what I'm so interested in with habits and 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 trying to speak to young athletes about this is 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 create your environment and 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 put friction in the way of temptation. You know, if there's friction, if 
if it if it's an effort for you to actually go and get a McDonald's, you yeah. know, what, and and you're sitting at home and it's cold and dark, you're probably not going to get get one. But if there's a McDonald's or someone brings you a McDonald's home, you're probably going to eat it. You know, so yeah. it's finding ways to make the friction harder for bad habits and make the friction less for good habits. And it sounds like, you know, over the course of years, you've really honed your environment and, and, and got it to a place that's given you the sustained success on the court, but also it's cultivated this really strong mindset that you can rely on. And, you know, yeah. so I, I don't think it's, it's, it's not a magic wand. It's not a magic bullet to become mentally strong. It, it sounds like it's a lot of little things that you can stack together yeah. And yeah. then build up over time, which which yeah, me, it, it doesn't sound superhuman, then does it? It doesn't sound like you're looking at these top athletes and high performers like yourself and going, oh man, they just they've got the superhuman capability. You know, it's actually things that I think we can all cultivate ourselves. Yeah, that's the thing. And you say it just it just takes time to build that habit, and because it is easy, isn't it? Like every afternoon at I don't know four o'clock, if you're at home and you you have a piece of cake, the next day at four o'clock you'd be like, oh well, I had that cake yesterday. I, you know, it just becomes a habit to get to eat it. So I think everyone can, it's just breaking the habit. That's the hard thing, isn't it? I think. And I think once you've had sweet food or something, it's, it does take a few days to go to not start craving it almost. And that's, and that's where it gets you. <laughs> Again, unfortunately, sugar activates similar parts of the brain as cocaine does. You know, the same parts of the brain are lighting up and it's just, it's craving yeah. for it. And yeah. I, I do suffer from sweet stuff myself more so than carbs and saying, yeah, I know Christmas time has been terrible because it'll take me a good couple of weeks to really stop craving yeah. it. But yeah. Um, listen, last couple of questions. I know you've, you've given us a lot of time, which is brilliant. Um, got an interesting one here. So what, what lessons have you learned from your playing career that you think you will take into your life after squash? Ooh, um, what will I take into my life after squash? <laughs> I think, I think, I don't know. I mean, as a, uh, yeah, as a pro, I feel like there's a lot of skills that we've developed in terms of like, you know, discipline. And I feel like even in life outside of squash, I was still, you know, even though I, I know we've been talking about cake and stuff, I'd probably have a few more cakes, but I think I would still always be disciplined to mm -hmm. exercise and to keep fit. And I think that will, yeah, I'd always be motivated to do that, I think. Okay. And I think even if I, like, I don't know, got a new job or something, I would always, I feel like I could always give it, I'd always commit 100% to it. And, you mm. know, I think there's a lot of skills that we we learn that we probably forget that we've we've actually got, but. I feel yeah. like I commit to, you know, I'd give something a hundred percent and I wouldn't want to do a bad job on it sort of thing. Well, yeah, uh, that sounds, sounds like your, your dedication you've put in over the years and, and what we've spoken about in this chat is going to serve you well in, in any field you choose to do after your career's ended. And, and, you know, for me, that, that sounds amazing. And, and just want to confirm you, yeah, you're not going to be opening up a cake shop anytime soon. I can't quite <laughs> oh, tell you. <laughs> that would be my dream, coffee and cake, yeah. <laughs> coffee and cake. Maybe it could be a little side project, your, your Saturday, Sunday vibe. You know, weekend vibe. Monday to Friday, you're Monday good. Monday to Friday, <laughs> a weekend thing. <laughs> so what tips or recommendations would you have for aspiring young athletes? So if you put yourself back into a 15 year old 16 year old Allison you know if you were talking to yourself now obviously you've had yeah. an amazing career there's been so much that you've done medals tournaments world rankings but what would you tell your younger self um, um the first thing I'd be like enjoy all the, enjoy the whole ride of it because it goes flipping quickly okay. like looking back now you think oh I wouldn't be sat here at 36 thinking you know I'm towards the end of my career you just at 18 you think you you know you've got so much time like so I would say enjoy every moment of it mm -hmm. um ask lots of questions like um you know don't turn up for a session and let the the coach lead the session I always think you should even from a young age that's probably what I didn't do enough of with be questioning what we're like you know what what are we doing like bring bring your own suggestions bring your own thoughts about what you should be doing in the session i think that's quite important mm -hmm. um i mean obviously there's times when the coach will lead the session but i think it is for your own learning and sort of development it's important to sort of have your own ideas and thoughts and oh i've seen this player do that maybe we could work on that or maybe i should could introduce that or you know that sort of thing 
um, and just work hard. I think it's a lot of, it's a lot of, yeah, hard work and discipline, um, but it's very reward, rewarding um, and yeah, enjoy it. <laughs> awesome. And, um, and finally, can you bring to mind any of your greatest influences, whether they be people, books, talks, podcasts, anything that you've heard of lately that's influenced you or maybe when you were younger that, that signposted you in a certain direction that really helped and, and, and has stayed with you? Yeah, I mean, I suppose squash-wise, I, I mean, my people that I looked up to who inspired me to to play and who I always wanted to be like was, was Sarah Fitzgerald. She was, you know, five times world champion and world number one, and I always loved her style of game. And I remember playing her when I was eighteen at Nash. I think it was Broxbourne National League. I think we were in the I, same. We were in the same team then. Yeah, I think. I think. Well, yeah, I played Broxbourne National League for many years. So yeah, yeah and we probably were. Yeah, and I remember playing and, I, and they said, oh, you're playing Sarah Fitzgerald world number one. And I was, oh my God, I was so nervous. <laughs> Amazing. How, how did you, do? you remember? Did you um, yeah, I, she, it was English, English scoring as well at the time. I got one point. Wow. And she was ruthless, wasn't she? She ruthless. Well, well she oh. probably gave you the respect as well, like going, hey, you're an, an up and coming good junior going into the seniors. So, you know, she played her best to give you that respect. And, and I like that. I like those, those, top athletes that that beat you convincingly because they're giving you that respect at the same time yeah so I always loved her game I loved her style of play nice. um, and then also Tanya Bailey I used to train with her when I was younger and she was probably when I was 18 she was top five or probably so in the world and yeah just getting on court with her was just again I was just so nervous but it was just mm. such a great experience to you know hit with her every week and yeah, definitely, you know, I think those those points are massive when you're at that age to to be on court with someone like that. And um, yeah, they were probably my squash motivation, like why I wanted to, you know, be a pro. Um, and then I think recently I've definitely got into more podcast space. I quite listen, like listening to, I've got into a CrossFit one, which talks more a lot about the mental side of the game, which I find really interesting. Um what other one I'm listening to? The High Performance Podcast. Just started listening yes. to. Yeah, I've just started listening to that one as well. It's 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 good. Yeah, there's some good stuff. Have you listened to Don't Tell Me the Score? No, not. No, that's it. It's a little bit older than the High Performance thing, but it's it's um Simon Mundy from the BBC. But he interviews yeah people like the guy James Kerr who wrote Legacy, that New Zealand All Black book. Um, he interviews Ryan Holiday about stoicism. Yeah, um, but it, it's very sport based as well. So he's got Johnny Wilkinson on there, and it's it's cool. it's really good. So if you like the high performance one, I think you'd also like that. The, the, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. Don't the score. It, it's I don't want to say one's better than the other, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> I, 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 the hype. Um, the uh, don't tell me the score. There's something really interesting the way he asked the questions and oh, really? it, yeah. for me, it's, 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 it's my go-to very curious one. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and because, because I know you, you're, you're quite a big reader as well. You, you do like to read a bit. Any, any, yeah, I do. Book, any book that comes to mind that, that you would say, uh, someone wanting to cultivate a high performance mindset like yourself should, should possibly look, look at. Um, I have read a lot of books. I can't ever remember what they're called. <laughs> Putting you on the spot, yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. I'll have to think about them. I have read a lot of books, but my memory's so bad. I can't remember. I have read Legacy. I think I read that one. That was quite good. Yeah. I think this over this last year, I've definitely got into podcasts more. Like, in the car now, I listen to podcasts instead of listening to the music. Yeah. I just find I've got an hour's drive. It's just... So I've, I've definitely listened to loads of podcasts, which yeah, I love. Podcasts are great because you're obviously getting experts in their field, uh, you know, yeah. talking for an hour, an hour and a half, and really getting their main points across about arguably 10 years worth of work that they've yeah. done. So yeah. I think it is such an interesting one. Um, finally, before we go, what was that podcast in regard to the CrossFit one? Because you recommended it to me. Can you, can you remember that one? Yeah, the CrossFit one. Um, it was... Um, Chasing excellence. <laughs> Chasing I remember excellence. that one. Phew, God, yeah. this is a good day. I've episodes on that, which, which I think are really good. So yeah, anyone looking to expand their knowledge on it, you know, there's such a wealth of knowledge out there podcast wise. 
Um, I, I personally love Audible, the Audible app. Um, you know, you can listen to so many books there, just Audible books, and you can yeah. just really absorb that stuff. And, and maybe it links to that one tip you said for younger players, ask questions, maybe be curious, you know, yeah. expand your mind, grow your knowledge. I, I, th I think yeah. we, we don't want it. We don't want to, a generation of athletes that are just spoon fed the information you know we want people to think get, yeah. think on their own feet and be able to be adaptable in a way yeah, as well definitely there's um, so much information out there isn't there and there's and i think more and more people have done podcasts this year because obviously everyone's been at home so there's so much good stuff out there from athletes and even non-athletes it's just yeah so much useful stuff amazing um and and finally allison where, where can people find you are, are you on all the social media platforms if people want to have a little follow and <laughs> yes i am <laughs> if you follow me i need to remember what my uh, <laughs> my instagram number or whatever it's called is Obviously, your, your, your handle, allison like waters 10 i can see yep. okay. on instagram <laughs> so tell that one again i interrupted you allison waters 10 it is on instagram and ali Wat one on twitter Awesome. It's amazing. <laughs> Listen, it's, it, it's been insightful. I, I, I love getting curious with you. I love trying to investigate things and look at things in different ways. You've given some amazing tips and recommendations and, and habits and, and, and things that are going on in your life. And yeah, hopefully anyone who listens to this can feel as inspired and, 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 and can take the lessons learned from this. And just absolutely thank you for your time because I know it's, it's, it's precious and you're a busy person and good time of the year to do it when we've got a bit of downtime. So thank you very much. Yeah, no worries. It's been great. I've enjoyed, uh, enjoyed chatting it over with you. <laughs> well, thank you. Presence. Process. Persistence. The essence of Squash Mind.